This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life, and the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day, and I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. Like, you're not alone. There's resources. Spend some time and surround yourself with people that you think are better dads than yourself. Not saying that they are better dads than yourself, but surround yourself with people who are good fathers. Talk about being a parent, right? People don't don't get out there and focus on becoming a good father or good parent as much as they should. Surround yourself with somebody who's doing that well. I was in a Facebook group at one point and it was only like 100 people, but it was started by a friend of mine, one of those entrepreneurs. And it was basically like random entrepreneur dude sharing ideas for like just how to make their wife feel special or struggles they were having around the house. So, I mean, read, read a book about being a dad, listen to a podcast like this about being a dad, like surround yourself with other fathers. Just, you can't help, but become better. Story one, this is Fire Team Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Welcome back to Military Veteran Dad, episode 113. This is your official start to the week. And if you're the kind of guy that starts Monday where you're feeling already behind, it's back to the grind, you're going to a place you don't want to be, I challenge you to find a different mindset to believe in. Because the mindset that Monday is where your hell begins and Friday is where your freedom begins, that is what everybody else does. And if you want the results that everybody else has, go ahead. Adopt that mindset. But if you want the results that the very few, the one and two percent of people out there are getting, you have to set your intention that Monday is the day where you set the tone for the week, the quality of the life at home and at work that you have. Now that starts with getting up, doing what you want, finding something to serve yourself, whether it be reading a book, meditate before starting your day, going to the gym before starting your day, whatever it may be. But how you start the day is gonna be how you finish the week. And Monday is definitely that place to start it. Today's episode is with David Pear. David is an active duty Marine who devotes his time helping service members and veterans learn how to build wealth through real estate investing, entrepreneurship, and personal finance. This episode goes into so many different places. David is actually currently stationed in Camp Pendleton, and his family is still in Missouri. And so that brought up a lot of different conversations of challenges and different growth opportunities that he's been taking advantage of. And what I really liked about this episode is we go into an area of how to find a different path. And if you want to hear me unpack more about that path, go ahead and hang on for the other side of this episode, and I will dive into, which is my number one takeaway of this episode. So without further ado, let's get started with David Pear. Welcome to the podcast, David. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me on the show, brother. I'm excited because we got connected through a common connection, and it's always interesting when the universe brings people in your life. And I had seen your name out there, but I hadn't really seen it in a way that I was like, you know what? I got to have that guy in there. But when someone gives you a nudge that says, 
you got to talk to this person. I always take those because my golden rule is you're always one conversation away from changing your life. And I'm positive we're going to change each of our lives today because the conversation has that kind of power. And I know the listeners out there listening to this episode are going to have that same kind of result because two conversa- one conversation can really open your doors up. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about you, where you are, who you are, and what you do. Yeah, so I'm uh, still in the Marine Corps for a couple of months. And so I am an uh, active duty Marine, been in for 12 and a half years. I, about 2015, kind of got into real estate and, you know, I bought a house. I lived in one half of a duplex, rented out the other half. I was like, wow, this is really cool. Uh, and then I just kind of more, bought more real estate and bought more real estate. And then I started talking about it online, like blogging, YouTube, whatever. And that slowly snowballed into, okay, do I stay in or do I get out? I've effectively replaced my income. It's time to move on, which has been a really rough decision. And so I've made some kind of interesting moves over the last year and a half that I will never recommend to anybody, uh, such as uh, when I relocated to California, I knew I was getting out. My wife took a job in Missouri and I effectively did the geo bachelor thing for the last year and a half, which has been in my head, you know, we kind of joked about people talking deployment over like being home with your family before we started recording. But like in my head, it was like, Oh, it's just like a deployment. I'm going to be away for a few months. Then I'll see my family. Everything will be great. Uh, there's a huge difference between being deployed and having like a crazy mission and being with the guys and living alone in a big empty house without your family and trying to do like fatherhood through zoom calls. And yeah, so it's been a real struggle and I'm basically just counting down the days at this point to moving back into the house and going full-time dad and quitting the Marine Corps and being able to focus on my family. Um, so that's in a nutshell, my really weird situation that I'm in uh, and kind of what I've created over the last five years where uh, I'm at a point now where I'm going to be able to exit the military and take all this full-time, but it's uh, not been an easy ride. So that's quite the amazing story, and I'm interested to see where it began. So I always love asking this question because m- many military veterans focus on the transition out, and they forget the first transition because we were human beings before we became Marines and any other branch of military. So who were you before you joined the Marine Corps, and what was your reason to jump into this big idea of becoming a Marine? That's a fun question, yeah. So I I was this kid. I would have, uh, if you've seen that 70s show, I looked like Hyde. That big app, big Afro, like Jewish ringlets, mutton chops, you know, full beard. Uh, probably since I was like a sophomore in high school, uh, I looked like a stoner is what I looked like, but I wasn't. In fact, I was quite the opposite. I was like the loser homeschool kid who didn't really have like I had a lot of like people I knew, but not like a whole lot of I had some I had friends, but not like a quirky social life and just kind of never really fed in fit in. So I like overcompensated for a lot of my insecurities at the time by trying to play up this, you know, awesome, badass travel the world and, you know, like, Oh, whatever thing, which I guess played into the Marine Corps. Cause when I was talking to all the different recruiters, it was like, that one's the most challenging and I get to be a, a beast. So I'm going to do the Marine Corps. Uh, the main motivators for joining the Marines was didn't want to go to school, had no money for school if I wanted to. And I wanted to leave Arkansas. So was there a better option than joining the Marine Corps when there's a war going on and traveling the world? Maybe, probably, but that was the most fun. So that's where I went. What about getting the identity of the Marine Corps? Was that something that like, you know, you didn't know who you are and where you were going. So you were going to attach yourself. That's something like, yeah, when you're becoming Marine, they tell you where you need to go. So you don't have to worry about. Yeah. I mean, it was, I, I definitely ate that wholeheartedly became, became Marine. So yeah, I think that was definitely part of it was, 
I don't know that I really had an identity. I mean, I was my, I guess my identity was like the weird kid who didn't fit in, but like knew everybody. So I was like the guy who, you know, I went to this big church and I knew everybody and every group and could poke my head into any conversation, but there wasn't like a group of people that I really, there were like two or three people that I fit in with. But the vast majority of people I knew were like, Hey, I know this dude in that group. Let me just poke my head in and say hi and then disappear again. And I don't know that I really ever felt like I fit in, so to speak, because in the homeschool crowd where I guess I would have fit in with everybody, uh, I was a little bit of the, you know, I was the bad kid, the bad influence because the homeschool kids don't get in any trouble and they're like weirdos, um, love them all. But uh, they're not, they're not exactly out there doing anything rebellious. And I was quite the rebel for that group. But then you go to like the public school crowd and I'm like Mr. Goody Two Shoes who's not been drunk so i like i was like in this like this weird little like mix of like i'm too hardcore to hang out with these losers and i'm not cool enough to actually hang out with like the normal school kids uh so i just kind of lived my own little goofy life i guess until the marine corps and uh you know i jumped into rugby trying to prove myself to me and it sounds a lot like my story so in high school i what i did sports because i thought i was kept trying to fit in i was in baseball a couple times pretty much my entire life i kept trying to do baseball and never was really good at it. i enjoyed it but never was like good at it gave up on baseball sophomore year when i played two innings out of that so the entire year i sat on bench the entire year after doing all the practices and only played two innings switched to ffa tried to fit into ffa i was good in ffa i was able to do different things but when it's more of a popularity contest in ffa i was not the popular one so i was the guy that was just kind of figuring out nerdy stuff on the computers and stuff and being able to do that but i never really felt like i fit in and Looking back, what I've realized what I was doing was I kept trying to fit in. But at the same time, every time you try to fit in, you lose a little bit of who you are or maybe what you don't even know you're already losing. And it took, I don't know, 15 year process to get back to like, this is who you are, Ben. And this is how you can be more of that. And this is how people will actually like you more. Not because you go out of your way to actually be liked. You go out of your way to be you. And wow, what a crazy idea. People actually like you for just who you are. And that's, I mean, it's so easy to get caught up in the high school dynamics. And for me, joining the Marine Corps was, it was a challenge. It was, I mean, I was a, day, a week away from going to the Air Force and a Marine recruiter at the church picnic was what changed my life. And I went the opposite direction. And two weeks later, I was raising my right hand for the Marine Corps versus the Air Force. And for me, it was one of those, like, I would have been voted least likely to join the Marine Corps because I couldn't do a pull-up. I could barely do the mile. I was worried when I got to boot camp that I could pass that first test they put you through to make sure you can even get into the program once you get there. And I was just felt like an underdog the entire time. And for me, the Marine Corps really withered back a lot of that BS story on top and planted a lot of seeds of who I was. And then it took another 10 years to really figure out what all that was and what the Marine Corps was revealing. And then all those seeds getting watered later on in life. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Fairly, fairly similar, similar kind of, it's funny when you say computer guy in FFA. I think that really paints a good picture. Now that you're average picture of an FFA guy, I mean, I grew up on a farm. So, I mean, I had that component. I took animals to the county fair and all that stuff. But I always liked computers. I was always a nerd on computers. I figured out things with Excel and all this other stuff. And it uh, just kind of worked out that way. That That's where I really just found a good habit of with computers. And then ended up being a later career. I was an IT guy a couple, maybe 15 years later in my life as well. There was a point that I want to go towards where you started to realize that you could take control of your life and actually do something that's very odd in the way that people understand how to make a living and actually not make money, but earn money. So like if you have a W-2 job, 
you are earning money by trading your 40 hours a week for a salary and you get issued a paycheck to, and even the military, you get issued a paycheck for the time you trade. But you started to ask better questions and you know, like, I don't think this is how it has to be. But that's not how many people, especially in the military, because we get so industrialized with the military complex of doing what we're told, questioning that isn't natural. So how did you get to that point where you started questioning the programming that was being issued to you? Uh, I read this magical book. It's you know, it's hard to do that backwards. That purple thing back there, rich dad, poor dad, right? That, you know, it kind of shifted my mentality. Um, it's all about, well, it's just basically, it's all about the idea of how to trade your, you know, you put your money to work for itself rather than put trading your time for dollars. Uh, and it just kind of put me in a weird spot where I was like, okay, this sounds cool. There's something to this. Let me start reading some other books about passive income and real real estate was the main driver there. Originally it was great. How can I buy enough rentals that I never have to work again? And then over time that kind of morphed into there's other avenues here. There's generating revenue through, you know, whether that's YouTube or a, a real estate course that helps people with uh, buying houses or creating a mastermind group or um, it, it transpired into several different income streams, but it started as just real estate. Like, okay, well, if I can buy a house that pays me $300 a month, then I can buy another one. Well, that's $600 a month. And buy another one, that's $900 a month. And then they pay each other down. Well, and it was very eye-opening for me when very quickly I was making almost as much money in, in rental income as I was in the Marine Corps. And I mean, once you buy a rental property and hand it to a property manager, the amount of time that is required to keep tabs on those properties, I mean, we're talking an hour or two a month, maybe. Uh, probably even less now that I've outsourced it to a bookkeeper. So I don't even do the books anymore. Uh, I just kind of like, all right, cool. Let me know if there's a problem and I'll fix it. Great. And that's pretty much it at this point. Um, and yeah, it just kind of spiraled from there. Once once that kind of clicked, it then I went from my last re-enlistment was, okay, well, I'm going to re-enlist because even though this isn't exciting for me anymore because there's not really any combat stuff, there's nothing like all the fun stuff in the military is kind of gone. Uh, and I'm kind of doing more paperwork stuff. Like I'm going to re-enlist because it's a stable job and I don't know what else I would do to this time I'm coming up for re-enlistment and I don't care about the money. I don't care what else, like I know what else I'm going to do. It's whatever I want to focus my time and energy on. It's whatever I want to do. It's what it's spend time with my family. It's travel. It's you know whatever. And since the Marine Corps is still not, it's just not as fulfilling for me as it once was. It's like, it's given me that freedom to make that decision, right? Because a lot of people, you know, for me walking, I mean, I'm going into the reserves, but for, for me walking away at the, from the military at effectively 13 years is uh, nuts, right? You tell any 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 service member who you mention that to, I'm, I'm surrounded by E8C9s and above in the unit I'm in right now because it's a kind of a higher command. Everybody just basically tells me I'm nuts for leaving the military and walking away. And so, yeah, it's been a very interesting uh, decision process and year, but... It's got a lot of perks or it will. You're, you're talking about something there. And I want to go there for a minute because what you're talking about is doing something against the grain. I don't know whether it's true, but I've heard the analogy and it makes sense that if you put a bunch of fleas in a jar with the lid on, they're going to try to get out very quickly and eventually they're going to realize the lid's there and then you take the lid off and they'll never try again and they can get out anytime, but they'll stay down because they tried once and they learned that the lid was there. And as we go through this 
change and we do things that our parents didn't do as other people, especially in the military. I mean, you're surrounded by people that all buy into the same idea. And then you got this David guy that decided to challenge everything. And what we often get stuck in is when people come into our life and says, like, I don't think that's a good idea. The mindset that I've learned to kind of get through it in my own life, because I can get stuck on it as well, is they need people need us to validate their own lives by doing something that they did. And when we choose not to do that, you're making them feel really insecure about their life choices. But they won't say that and they won't openly do that. But I mean, that's what they're doing when they try to pull you back down of bring you back to their level and their way of thinking. Because if you do something that is completely different than I'm doing, I might be wrong. I am definitely not ready to admit that. But that's what you're doing there. How did you work through that? Because there's it's bundled with fear. It's bundled with mindset. It's bundled with just being able to break free from what everybody else is telling you to do. It's it's not an easy decision at all. And I still question. I still find myself overnight success. Yeah, uh, you just wait. (laughs) One of these days I will be. Uh, I hate that. (laughs) Um, It's still not an easy. I mean, I still second guess it sometimes. I think the biggest thing for me is that I've been fortunate enough to have some people in my life who were much farther down the real estate or finance or entrepreneur side of life than I was. And so what I've realized is as I talk to the 25-year-old, 30-year-old, or sorry, 25 or 30-year career Marine who's getting ready to get out of the military and they're thinking about, you know, they're telling me to stay in and they're, they're you know, I ask them what their plan is and a lot of times they're thinking about getting their next job. Like that's kind of the military thing, right? You do 20 years, 30 years, you get a contract job or a GS job or, or just another job or what. It's very rare that you run into someone who's like, yeah, I did 30 years, I'm retired like actually retired, right? Uh, and and even even more scary is the people who do retire at 20 or 30 years often have a really rough time because, I mean, we're men or, or women, but, you know, men specifically, like, you have to have a purpose in life. You, you have to have something. Or you're going to go nuts, right? Like, nobody just sits on their butt. You need for, something to live for. Yeah, exactly. So so they find themselves keyholed into this, like, I got to work again, or that like, that's the plan. And so as I was talking to all these guys, I'm like, okay, all these guys are, they're getting out of the military and they're going to go work another job and they're going to do fine and they're, they're happy and that's cool. But then on the other hand, I got the guys like, I mean, I'll just name like Brandon Turner, who's a big real estate investor and I've got to talk to him. You know, I've gotten to know him a little bit. Doug Nordman, who's a military guy who retired from the military. And then for the last almost 20 years, hasn't worked again because of some side hustle and finance decisions he's made. Uh, and, and guys like these. And when I talk to them, every one of them is like, get out. And they're like, okay, why? Because you've got, all of this potential and you're holding yourself back or because this is a safety net or because whatever. And I look at the two lifestyles and I say, okay, these guys by vast majority are telling me to stay in, which might be because of what you said, right? Validating their decision, but they're telling me to stay in and their future looks like retire from this job, work another job, retire from that job, finally be able to enjoy life when you're 60. These guys are 30, 35, 40, you know, maybe, and they're millionaires who live in Maui or, or do whatever, and they're like, get out and do this because you're going to be fine. It's like, okay, well, which life do I want to live? All right, well, that's the advice that I'm going to try to, not that I want to be, you know, bajillionaire in Maui, like that's cool. But um, so it kind of came through listening to the, like looking at the lens, like, am I going to take advice from the guy who's five years further down the road in real estate and done extremely well? Or am I going to take advice from the guy who's 15 years further down the life of 
the military and has done well as far as a military career, but I don't necessarily want like his life in 20 years doesn't excite me. So that was, that was my, my biggest lens in all this was surrounding myself by like looking at basically stepping back and looking at who's giving me the advice and saying, well, which life's that like, who's living the life that I want to live. All right. Well then those are the people I'm going to listen to, whether it's comfortable or not. What you're speaking to there is something that I'm going to ask you. When did you figure out that your network was going to determine your net worth? That's a really like hot buzz phrase. I don't know that I really started believing how true it was until probably about a year and a half ago when I, I mean, there were a few, in, there's been a few instances where I've realized it. Right. And one is I just name dropped Brandon again. I was hanging out at his house and, th- and he's very successful in the real estate front. Right. So anyone who follows bigger pockets knows who this guy is. And I, I got lucky enough to meet him in Hawaii and, and build enough of a rapport that I get to hang out with him a couple of times. And I mean, every time I hung out with this guy, every single time I talked to him, I left with some million dollar idea that I was like, okay, well, I'll give this a shot. And it's worked. And it's like, holy smokes, like, why didn't I think of that myself? And so I think that was like probably one of the more, I guess, reinforcing means of that is just hanging out with somebody who thinks that way. And instead of saying, oh, hey, this is a cool idea, says, go do this. And you're like, well, he's very confident this will work. And he gave me an idea. Let me give it a shot. And then it does, or, or maybe it doesn't. But I think it was when I started realizing that every time I hung out with certain groups of people, I had ideas that excited me and ideas that had some potential and idea that ideas that had some legs. And then when you hang out with other, like some, there's groups of people you hang out with and you, you know them when you're like, dude, I'm going to go run a half Ironman. And the response is like, screw that. As opposed to like, dude, that's awesome. Go for it. Like, okay. And so there, I guess the real reinforcement for me was when I started realizing that there were certain groups of people that every time I hung out with them, I either left with a better idea, more motivated about what I was doing, or just felt like I was going in the right path. And those people are pulling, like pulling me up to their level as opposed to the opposite, which is like the kind of the crab in the bucket, like try to pull you, pull you back down to their level. And that's, I mean, that's the, when you really start to hit home is like, wow, every time I hang out with these people who are doing really well for themselves, I feel awesome about where I'm going in life. And every time I hang out with these people who aren't like, man, that take, it takes a toll on you. When one person's talking about what they're investing in and the other person's talking about who's going to make the run to the liquor store to buy the 12 pack for the night, those two types of behavior provide an insight into your own life. And for every dad listening, I want to talk to you for a second because what David's talking about and what I even experienced when I left my job last January was an instinctive reaction that I did not know enough to know where to go. And luckily, I had to have this podcast for a year prior to January happening. And immediately, my instinct was, I need to talk to as many people that have walked this road as possible before me. And so I immediately just started filling my calendar with as many people as I could talk to that on LinkedIn would talk. And it was a funny part. Everybody was reaching out like, hey, if you need something, let me know. I was like, I'd love to have a conversation with you and just get outside my head. I talked to people on the W-2 side and talked about how they transition, what their life looks like, what their advice was. And then I talked to a lot of people on the freedom side of entrepreneurship. And what does this look like? Is this really my opportunity to go all in? What did it look like? And by comparing both worlds, like you, I found my path within the entrepreneurs. Like, this is it. This is my path. 
and I'm going to do it. But we're also talking about we don't have a wide enough view of the American dream. There are so many default, narrow views of how people can, can define happiness. And here's the big epiphany that Americans, many suffer from today. Our ha- dream of happiness isn't happiness. It's just a house that you can't afford. It's a car payment that you don't want. It's a big pile of debt that you don't want anymore. And their life choices are all in the past. And meanwhile, you spend all your time at work paying for previous choices and you're stuck trying to wish for a better life when reality is you're just on the wrong plan and you need to get new ideas. And you're also speaking to the average of the five closest people and that you moment you get into energy of people thinking at a higher level, like I'm sure you've had this many, many times and you go in these conversations where they're like operating above six figures. They were just like, you probably think yourself, I have at the same time when I have a Zoom call, I'm like, you do what? And you make how much living? I met a lady who runs a Facebook group who does a mystery quilt mystery murder quilt and she makes over a million dollars sending out quilt squares to women all across america at starts in january goes to december and it's a murder mystery and she makes over a million dollars selling quilt squares to people that love quilting and i'm like oh my gosh like those types of conversations change you forever because you're always left with i just don't have the right question to really get me the right answer And I know someone that can get me the right answer. But if you don't have a network, you can't lean on that. If you don't even are open to conversations, which is why I led with in this beginning, you were one conversation away from changing your life. And you never know which millionaire you're going to talk to, David, that you're going to like, man, this guy has the path to for me to be Grant Cardone type idea. And you're like, and that's only going to happen when you keep having conversations. Like even now you think like, I got a really good idea here, but you're probably never going to be so ego centric that you're like, this is the idea that's going to get me to the end. No, I'm always going to refine the idea with better ideas. And you need yeah. conversations to do that. Yeah, I agree completely. And it's, it's even crazy. Like I grew up, you know, you, when you hang out with service members, a lot of times it's like, where do you want to eat? Oh, let's go to like Denny's and don't get me wrong. Another wrong with Denny's. I love me some pancakes, but, um, you get around like the right people and you go out to like a nice restaurant and, and maybe you blow a hundred dollars on a meal or maybe, maybe some, somebody in the party buys the whole thing for everybody, or it's just a big tax write off or, or whatever. And it's kind of crazy how eye opening the difference is not to, not to tell everyone like go out and blow money on a $200 steak dinner. Obviously frugality has its place, but like to just get around people where money isn't a worry at all. And they don't, care about like they don't look at a bill they just like not a limiting barrier yeah the conversation's there and they're just totally set for success and nobody at the table has to go i only ordered the water can i we not split the check or whatever there's no credit card roulette Um, or if you are playing credit card roulette you don't have the stress of god i hope they don't play my pull my credit card (laughs) yeah it's just it's such a different group of people to be around and it just, I mean, it just opens your eyes. You can't help but kind of just gravitate towards like, well, how do I, how do I improve? And everybody wants to help. You know, it's, I, I heard this quote once and I love it um, and I'm going to mess it up, but it basically the com the concept is right. Like nobody who's more successful than you will ever tell you it's like, will ever try to stop you from going after something. They'll just tell you, here's how I would do it or, or maybe try this or have you thought about this, right? It's never the people who are worth $10 million who are saying, ooh, don't go for that. It's always the people who are behind you that don't want, you know, and so it's, you get around those people and they give you all kinds of great ideas and feedback and motivation. They're all doing really well. I mean, it's almost like the idea of you, you want to get good at weightlifting. So you start going to a gym where everybody in the gym is a Mr. Olympia, 
right? Like you can't help but become a better bodybuilder if you're surrounded by people who are professional bodybuilders, as opposed to going to like Planet Fitness and not that there's anything wrong with Planet Fitness, but you're probably not surrounded by Mr. Olympia there. So, um, yeah. Many military dads get stuck on, and what we're talking is the opposite of this, is we walk on the other side of transition and we forget the core programming of the military is you were never designed to win the war alone. You were designed to win it with the best group of ideas and you were masterminding the ideas of how to conquer this mountain. Not one general comes up with the idea. It's a group mind. It's group think. But we're never actually conditioned that this is actually the blueprint to take on the other side. Like it's a it's an oxymoron and a dichotomy of the military that they they don't do any good job or that I'm aware of to experiment and say, this is how we do it in the military. And this is also, by the way, the blueprint to millions on the other side that you join masterminds for groupthink to take your idea and 10 exit. And all of those things are how you grow on the other side. But most people transition out and we just get this idea of, yeah, this is how it's supposed to be. And I'm supposed to do it alone. And I can't tell someone that I'm having a bad day. Yeah. Heaven forbid, nobody cares. It's so messed up. It's so true. I love that about the military, though. So let's transition on the other side, because let's paint a really wide view of what's possible in your life and what could be possible in someone else's. So let's tra- time travel. It's two years from now because you're getting out in a year and a half, right? Uh, no, I will be out by, well, officially by October, but hopefully on an internship in three months. OK, so let's go. It, let's go two years just to give you some fr- time to get the aircraft up in the air and get some altitude to your, your freedom. What does your life look like two years from now, knowing the path that you're on and the road to freedom that you've created for yourself? What are some of the things that you're doing? Uh, well, I mean, obviously on like the business side, I'm, I'm going to be speaking. Uh, we're going to host a veterans uh, real estate investing conference. Uh, we actually hosted our first one last year. So we'll host one in person. Hopefully two years from now, we'll be allowed to do things Hopefully, in person knock again. On wood. Um, yeah, oh. knock on. <laughs> I got my vaccine, so I better be able to go out in public because um, that thing got me sick. So it was not worth it if I don't get to go out in public. Um, anyway, uh So hopefully in-person event, doing some speaking. I've got a book out on helping service members and veterans get in, like just learn basic finances and how to set up their TSP and basic financial stuff that I wish I'd known when I first joined the military, as well as some personal development stuff. And then I'm basically able to design my life around what I want to do. So I'm going to be able to go to my kids' games and coach baseball and play rugby again if I want to play rugby and uh, we have 10 acres back in Missouri so be able to roll around on the four-wheeler and play in the snow like today there was a video of my kids in the snow on a four-wheeler and I'm just sitting at work like wow yeah this is not the life I want so you want a four-wheeler the movie I can't help but think of is Richie Rich when he takes his friends around the the huge complex on the four-wheelers I'm going to, I'm going to have to go. Uh, oh yeah. 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 <laughs> no, not, not quite that big, but yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> no roller coaster. No, no roller coaster. No, no Mount. I think that is that the Mount Rushmore movie too. Is yeah, that the well, it, yeah. yeah. Where the family has their own portrait on the mountain. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the family vault is. Oh yeah. Not, not quite, but um, you know, but it, it's going to be good. Right. And I'll be able to take weekends off and obviously I'm kind of a workaholic type. So I'm sure I'll do some stuff on weekends periodically or meetups, but uh, and I'll be able to take two weeks and go to Europe or take two weeks and go to Japan or uh, go on a cruise or what kind of things are you hoping things? to teach your kids in those two years or two years from now that maybe oh, you man. haven't been able to now because of the constraints of the military. 
I mean, for one culture, right? Just traveling. I mean, I mean, it's one thing to learn. I, I learned more about culture when I went to Mexico on a mission trip in high school than I did, you know, about from, from, I learned more from that than I did from two years of Spanish, right? Cause you go to Mexico and you actually have to speak a little bit of Spanish. You learn the culture a little bit. You're like, wow, this is awesome. Uh, so my hope is to be able to, for one, travel, right? And take them through different cultures, whether that's Europe, you know, I'd love to go back to Japan, a lot of those things. Um, Why do you think that's important? Most of the people listening to your podcast have probably done some travel been the military, whether that's, whether that's just traveling to, to different states or traveling out of country or even deploying. And so I think anyone can relate to the fact that, you know, like for me going to Afghanistan, right. Uh, that completely completely changes your worldview to see how these people live and how happy they are and to see those kinds of cultural experiences. And I don't necessarily plan on taking my kids to visit, you know, uh, Sangin or, or Marja Afghanistan in, uh, for fun. But I think going to other countries and realizing a, how good we have a lot of things in life, which is humbling, but B just how other people live and just genuinely learning about other cultures is, I mean, that for me has been very powerful when I, go to another culture. I try to absorb, you know, I go to Japan. I try to learn a little bit of Japanese and travel and not stay on base. I did the same. And uh, essentially all of my duty stations, even if they're in the States and you learn just a lot about people and cultures by getting out there and getting outside of your bubble. So I think that's a very powerful thing. And then just trying to help them understand, you know, from my point of view, education is important for sure, but not just education as far as straight A's and going to school education as far as how to source answers to questions you have or how to find solutions to problems or how to think outside of the box, how to problem solve, how to. And so I really hope to be able to help them both understand basics of finances, but understand how to find a solution for a problem or create some, a product where there's a need or, or start thinking outside the box in ways that will benefit them and allow them to kind of control their future more than the age old, like go to school and get a job, which is good advice in a lot of cases. But, uh, you know, I grew up kind of ironically, right? Like fail an English class. And I basically getting lectured, like when you grow up, you're going to have to learn how to write like this or this, this, and this. And it's like 15 years later, I'm publishing a book and I hired an editor because I don't need to know any of that. And so like, try to get people to understand, uh, just, finished reading a book called who not how um, by Dan Sullivan who worked, he runs strategic coach, like high level coaching stuff. And his concept is really kind of, I guess the idea that I'd love to help instill in my kids is just the fact that you don't have to be good at everything. You just have to know how to work with people and who needs to be the person to help you with that job. If you want to, for me, you know, the first thing about publishing a book. So I hired a coach for self-publishing and they've walked me through everything. Without them, I would probably still be stuck trying to figure out how to format a header on a book. How to write so, the forward. Yeah. You know, so um, I think that's some very powerful things. And I don't necessarily know how those, you know, I don't necessarily know the way to teach all of those things. I think a lot of it comes down to being able to be there to teach them those things. I don't have any control over when I go home and when I go to work right now. That's not exactly what I want to be the life I want to be showing my kids. How old are your kids? Uh, I have a, so I have a 12 year old stepson and I have a four year old boy. There were so many things there that I want to kind of circle back and make sure that dads hit on. 
And there's one that I've talked about a few times in the podcast that I often talk about or a shortcut that I want to take my kids to India so they can see a kid that has nothing that has the biggest smile they've ever seen. And I want them to know that it's not an iPhone that you buy because the marketing told you that this is going to make you happy. Happiness is something that you generate from the inside based on the love that you feel for yourself, not because of the amount of likes that you got on Instagram. And to me, that is something that we've gotten lost on in the last 10 years. And it just is multiplies even more as every month unfolds in our current society that we have today. Everybody is sourcing the validation externally. I want them to understand that it all comes from the inside. And that perspective, that depth that you talked about, that was beautiful because what you hit on right there is one of the massive reasons why I love helping military dads come home to their families because we have that depth. We've been on those roads. We know how to guide our kids and family through that and to create that depth. And most Americans have never even left the country, let alone created depth on a worldview, but yet somehow people look to us to have the worldview. And we can create a better adult because of what we've seen. And if we can expose our kids to more ways of life, like how people live in Europe and different things that they have, different cultures, you create understanding, which is something also military dads are good at. All of these things are the recipe for great adults. And we don't really acknowledge that we have this really awesome fucking toolbox to create some amazing human beings. But the most important part is you have to acknowledge you have it. Two, you are a person of value. And three, it's your story, maybe a difficult story even, that's going to help be that teaching tool to get your kids to that place. Yeah, it's, it's a good way to put it. I like that. There was another part that I was going to circle back to is that you're talking about leading your kids somewhere and not necessarily where you want them to go. Like the, to me, the number one reason that people go through life and get stuck at 18 and end up joining the military or just kind of defaulting going to college because they don't have a better idea it's because they stayed on the narrow track we talked about, not having a wide enough dream. So to me, my objective as a father is to give them the widest view of their life. And I'm convinced that you can't figure out how you fit into this world with 12 years of schooling. You have to step outside your life in order to see how you fit into your life. And that's what you talked about with experiences and take them to different cultures. Because when you expose yourself, like in the military, to all these different things, to different people in the world... You understand how your unique gifts and value as a person can actually make the world a better place. And isn't that what we want for all of our kids to go into the world and help make it a better place? I hope so, right? You know, if you want them to go into the world and make it a worse place, uh, stop listening. We, we want that, <laughs> but we often just get hung up on the, the circle of life and the repetitive nature of, of what we do every day. I mean, you're kind of living the duality, like... At night, you are this guy, but during the day, you're still part of this cycle of the military lifestyle. Like, it's a rinse and repeat. You got PT in the morning, you got formation, you go to work, and you've got colors, and you go home and pretend to be family, and then you repeat that process, and you don't really acknowledge it like, oh, when I come home to my family, I can actually be a dad. I don't have to worry about, like, being a Marine at home, and you can, it's a whole dichotomy there. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in... I mean, social media for one, but just in in busy work around the house to, you know, I, I know a lot of people, right? They get home, they, you know, I got a side hustle. So if I'm, if I come home and I'm working on my side hustle for hours and then I finally like, oh, okay, I can relax. Well, you know, if my kids are asleep, then I missed a pretty solid opportunity. Uh, and, and it, it can be very challenging to 
Like try starting no. a military dad podcast and working on your podcast instead of being with your kids. I couldn't have picked a worse side hustle for the the duality of do I help other dads become better dads or do myself become a better dad? Like it's a crutch of uh pro- the only way that I got through it was the first year when I did have a job and the only reason why I was able to keep my consistency is I realized Starbucks opened at 5.30 on the morning on the weekends. And so from 5.30, or actually not 5.30, 5 o'clock, so from 5 to 8 every Saturday and Sunday for like a year and a half straight, I maybe had slept in like two or three weekends out of the entire time. All of those times I was at Starbucks from that time when my kids were sleeping home, watching cartoons, eating cereal, low value quality time. I was working on my podcast and then I would come home and be dead. Like I knew very early on. I wasn't going to create a business. And same in your case, you kind of got this perfect storm where you can kind of build this thing with your family way. And it's not that duality like I had. And you get to go home to a better version of dad because you had this time away and you were able to work on it. And I knew I didn't want to build a business and create a life of freedom to not have the people I love the most there with me when I get to that point to enjoy. I mean, think of how many career minded military generals that live their entire life for the idea of the military. They get out and they realize there's nobody there anymore. Because everybody left them because they never realized what was most important. Yeah. Yeah. And as much as the whole geo bachelor, like being away from family thing is, is miserable. I don't know if there could have been a better decision logically as far as building a business, because when I, I mean the last, the year before we moved here, I was trying to do both. Right. So I was waking up at four in the morning, working on the podcast, going to work, coming home. And then maybe I'd play for an hour and then go work on stuff upstairs or weekends working on stuff while the kids, you know, and I was missing out on time with them. And right now I'm missing out on time with them, but it, because I'm able to focus on it, I'm making so much progress that when I get home in a couple months, I I'm going to be able to just close the door on time outside of when the kids are around and say, okay, I'm going to take this day off and go hang out with the kids or, okay, I'm going to do this this weekend or, you know, and I'm going to be able to focus that energy with the kids uh, and and the wife, obviously, you know, she doesn't get sick of me, but, um, and so it's, it's kind of, yeah, I guess the dichotomy there, right? Like, cause it is, it's very easy to get stuck doing a whole bunch of stuff and never spend time with your kids. And the military is the worst trap because most people won't call you out. It's a noble thing. I mean, it sounds noble. It looks noble. Must be. And the lie that, oh, my, my commanding officer said we had to work late tonight. You may have just made that up and no one's going to call you out like, did he? Really? Because this is like the third night in a row that he's done that and you guys aren't even getting ready to deploy. Uh, but no one's going to call you out on that because it's so easy to hide the military because it's dressed up as he's just serving this country and doing a noble service. Yeah, I know plenty of people who don't seem to ever want to go home. <laughs> or they look forward to the next TDY or next training away from their family because that's they see that like going away is like the best part of the day versus when they walk through the door at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, and I can almost, I can see that too, because there's so much purpose, like when you're deployed or, you know, whatever it's life in the military back in garrison is boring. So, I mean, it would be easy to fall into the trap of, okay, yeah, another deployment, sign me up. Uh, and honestly, I've joked about it before, uh, but, but like, how hard would it be if you wanted to go to Japan, whether your family did or not, how hard would it be to just be like, oh, we got orders to Japan. I oh, no. fought them. I fought so hard. But I mean, yeah, so it's very easy. Um, I'm not advocating that people do that. But um, yeah, you can very quickly realize the whole career gone and not have 
actually accomplished anything on the parenting family side. You you can hide from that for sure. So have you had to come home from a deployment to your family where they were like you were stationed at the same spot? No, no, I was a single dude back when I deployed since then. Uh, I mean, I've done some, you know, some couple week or, you know, probably, probably, probably seven, six, seven week training ops is about the longest. Uh, but even that, I mean, it's a noticeable thing. It's like this big build up to come home and then, all right, back to work the next day. Is there any advice or maybe missteps that you'd like to share with the audience for where you, because like, there's a huge kind of another dichotomy of life that there's the side of coming home that everybody sees where the, the military member meets the kid at school. There's these eruptions and everybody is crying and happy. And I cry my eyes every time I see one of those, but that honeymoon phase ends and then the real work begins. And most people never talk about that part. And it's the part that, that keeps going. I mean, those terribly viral videos where people play that like, oh my gosh, I'm coming home music and it's like totally staged. And I have a Google me. alert for military dad. There's probably 15 of those videos every single week in my Google alert for military dad coming home. And I'm just like, man, they're just so it, it just highlights the, the honeymoon. And but no one really does anything related to. What's on the other side of that? And a lot of times, just like the military talks about it, and some units do this really well, and other units really just miss the mark. They spend six months getting ready to go, and then they spend two days getting ready to come home. And it's the part that is the part where you can make the most missteps and even never come back together. Sometimes people come back together for that moment, and that's kind of like the last moment of connection before everything kind of falls apart. So I'm wondering, is there any wisdom or anything that you've learned within your time, maybe even coming home from your times by being gone this time where you realize that you can't just walk in the door and kind of resume where you left off. Cause a lot of times life continued without you and they learned to live without you in some capacity. Yeah. I think just being aware of it, uh, that's been the hardest thing for me. So a few different things, right? One is, I'm not part of the routine anymore. So I have to realize that the way I do things is not the way that they're doing things around the house. And so there've been times where I'm like trying to help with stuff and I'm essentially doing it the wrong way and getting like, you know, like, what are you doing? And it's like, that's just very just detrimental to me because I'm like, okay, trying to help is what I'm doing. I'm just clearly not doing it the right way. I'm sorry. Like, let me just sit out of the way. You don't need me around like that. That idea of not being needed at home like it's a double-edged sword because when you want a woman and a family who's independent and doesn't need you around they can survive without you but you also want to come home and feel needed feel appreciated and if they spent all that time successfully without you then they're not going to need you right away and they might appreciate you but they're not like so i mean we've struggled for sure like my wife and i you know intimately and a lot of other things where it's just like her way of coping has kind of been turn off the emotions so like i come home and there's like this you know like we met at the airport all the kids are happy oh my gosh let's kiss and hug and whatever and then like you get home and it's kind of like yeah hey i know how military videos are and like she she i mean i've literally had my wife tell me um you know like i know that there's like this mentality where like um you know people wear have like a big sign that says like report for booty and it's like you come home and you like wonderful sex like everything's great with your wife and she's just kind of like, that's not it. Like, you've been gone for six months. I the like I sh like the emotions. There's aren't two there, loads like, of laundry like, they need folded. Let's get yeah, going. Yeah, <laughs> like you gotta. This has got to warm up. There's a warm up period here, and it ain't. And so it's been very rough for me to manage those expectations because you see 
you see societally or society the perfect whatever. facebook you, filter is applied yeah, it's you, like it looks easy it looks see. like a plane landing on the on the ground it happens exactly daily. and then you get home and you're just like okay i've been working my butt off for this i've been so excited about this and and they don't it was all i could think about when i was sat and if you were a guy that was deployed in afghanistan or iraq like i thought about this moment and then i tear in we were just joking, or not joking, but we were talking about the the sadness of the thought that people feel deployed to their home and they feel like more home when they were deployed in Afghanistan. Like that's the dichotomy that people want to run into. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a very real thing, right? You know, it's it's very easy to get wrapped into, and you and the and you you do it yourself sometimes because you overplay how amazing this homecoming is going to be, and you see how happy everyone is, and everyone. You know, if you're in, if you've got ten people who all got off deployment and they're all married and they all go home to their family, right? They're all going to talk about how amazing it was. Nobody's going to say, "Wow, that was." Watch terrible. out for that IED over there because, man, that thing almost took off my leg. And needless to say, that that was a piece of laundry on the floor that I forgot to pick up yesterday. And let alone it was an IED, metaphorically speaking. Yeah, nobody nobody's going to tell you that it didn't go well. It's like graduating from Marine Corps boot camp, right? Nobody goes home to their friends and says that was the worst thing I've ever done. I don't know how I made it through. I would never do it again. They all oh, go home to their the, friends. We become the commercial. <laughs> yeah, they all go home and they say, oh, yeah, it was tough, but I can I do that. Yeah, I'm yeah. a tough guy. I made it. It was good. It was all right. Like, it's just a mentality thing. Nobody nobody wants to let the ego in and say, dude, this sucks. And so when nobody talks about it, it's not the norm. So then, and then, and then it's even worse because if all 10 people feel the exact same way when they go home, and all 10 people go home and play it off, then all 10 people not only feel invalidated and unnecessary at work or at home, but they then feel like something's wrong at work because everybody else has this picture-perfect thing going on and theirs isn't. Wow, that just got really like, we just spiraled into like everything that's wrong with homecomings. <laughs> we did, and it's it's in the weeds and it's the part like, it's the ugly part that's not talked about. It's It's the... I mean, it's like even if you were to, to give another duality to uh, like presidential elections, presidential elections are all about how what we can do for you and everything that's going to get better when I get in office and you put them in office and all they do is do their own thing. And you're like, well, that's not what it was sold about. But it's this idea of we just get accepted to what this idea of what's in front of us and we forget that reality is there. And I love that you talk about ego because that is a huge component that I it was one of my very first principles that I spoke on even before I had a podcast is that the first thing military veterans need to turn off on the other side is their ego because it's the one landmine that's going to hurt all the people around you and it's also potentially going to hurt you when it goes off because you're not going to be able to see the blind spots because you're protecting yourself from everything that's important in your life until the moment that there's nothing left around you and it's all gone and you don't realize that it was your ego that was telling you this massive lie that you had to keep up your armor and that wasn't the process. Is there a moment where you realize that your ego was kind of like this big asshole in the room that you couldn't figure out what was causing the problem? And you're like, it was that guy. Uh, have you ever read the book? Uh, have, you, have you read any Ryan Holiday? He's got a book. I've read a few ego. of Holland, Ryan Holiday. Yeah, ego, ego is the enemy. Yeah. I've read is that for that one. Yeah. Me and my roommate joke about that all the time. We're like, hey, have you read this book? Every time we're being an asshole. Um, Dude, that was part of the reason I was such a prick in high school because I was like trying to prove to myself and everyone else around me that I wasn't this home homeschooled dweebo. So I like, oh, I'm so awesome. Look at how great I am. I freaking lied about everything and over-exaggerated everything. And, I mean, the Marine Corps beat a lot of that out of me, but I've struggled with an ego for a long time. I mean, to the point where 
I've probably struggled with ego so much that now one of my bigger issues is like the imposter syndrome where I'm like suppressing my own abilities in almost like, like a self detrimental, like, no, you can't do that. You're not good enough. Like I, it's almost like I suppress my ego so much that now I have a problem letting myself fly. If that makes sense. Like I hold myself back. Anyway, needless to say, I think yeah, it's just a different side of the ego that I, I've, I've talked to a couple of times where your ego is a thermostat as well, that it wants to keep the room the same temperature. And so anything you do to rise above the temperature, it has a tendency to pull you back down because I often eat my ego shows up as people like you don't do things like that. And that's not what people like you do. And you should go back to being what people like you do. And needless to say, I want to be like the person that do, does those people. I want to be on stage. I want to be those types of doing those cool things. And so you have to recognize that the one person that's going to keep you normal the most, the fastest, and the cheapest is yourself with those ideas that people like you don't do things like that. And even joining the Marine Corps probably had the same thought, even I didn't know it, that people like you don't join the Marine Corps. People like you go in the Air Force where it's the easier road and you've never done a hard thing in your life. Why would you do it now? And it was kind of like my dare to be great moment of giving myself the finger like, okay, let's see what happens. Yeah. And ego's a mean beast. And ego's a mean beast mainly, I think, because it, you don't recognize that you're, you, you have an ego in the times when you have an ego. And if you do, like nobody wants to stop and say, oh, yeah, I'm not that good. Or, oh, yeah, I need to chill out. This is too much. Like, it usually feels pretty good when the ego is doing its thing. <laughs> and it's interesting because most of like early, my definition of ego was basically just a guy that was self-centered. Like the people that just like drank way too much of their own Kool-Aid. And I was, that was like my very, first, I'm like, there's, when I think of egotistical, I was like, there's no way I'm egotistical. I don't have any of those tendencies. I rarely think of myself, but anything, I was a people pleaser. Like I never thought of myself but as I've refined the definition, you probably have seen this more that part of like a healthy relationship with yourself is when you become selfless, like you actually start doing things because you deserve to be happy and you do those things for yourself, not for the pursuit of others. And you're OK talking about it because I like who I am and I'm not going to hide who I am. But the people that I was early on was thinking about was people that desire to be liked and loved from external sources, because on the inside, they're still probably like a 12 year old boy that hasn't grown up yet. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's definitely a piece of that for, I mean, making decisions based on what will make you happy is ironically a lot harder than you would think. <laughs> but yeah, it's a good point. And I've been doing some training for scream free parenting and a huge component of this training is parenting is actually a journey of growing up yourself. And in order to become a better parent, you actually have to grow yourself first. And by providing a calmer version of you, you actually provide a calmer version of your family that they can model and they can learn from. And it's not our objective to raise kids. It's our objective to raise adults. And if you want to raise adults, it's an idea that um, I might murder this, but I'm going to try to get it out. Like his main principle of this teaching is. We have a responsibility for our kids, but not to our kids. We are not responsible to, I did that backwards. We're not responsible for their actions. We're responsible to make sure they have the best idea of those actions. And all of that comes from growing up 
yourself. And best way to grow up is to admit, I might not have all the answers and I might be the guy holding myself back. Or another way that shows up in parenting that I've, I just learned today because I did some training on it is when you lose control in a moment of with your kids, you're actually like frustrated that like you're taking it on them. Like, how dare you frustrate me and take away my calm right now? And then you have to be like, they don't have, they're not that powerful. Why would I acknowledge that an, a six-year-old could make my day bad? Like they're not that powerful to do that. I gave them that remote control and a screaming is just a reaction to the calmness we don't feel inside. And now we went into a different area entirely, but it's all connected to the same idea of we have to start with ourselves and coming home from our kids, coming home to our marriage. I mean, if you think about coming home to your marriage and your kids, the first connection you have to realize is you're the biggest landmine for making it successful. And if we go back to that story of where we were talking about, like the real work begins after those home videos, you actually have to catch back up and figure out what life was like when you were gone. Like, a component of you coming home for the final time, there's a lot of stories. And if your kids were older, there'd be probably more of it to go on. Like I've envisioned it for like a teenager, like, and dad's deployed. Maybe a son who really struggled with a, with a breakup and you weren't there and he's pissed. He's fucking pissed that you weren't there to help him through that. You're never going to know it. Cause he probably just going to resent and take it out and take shots across the bow to really show how pissed he is without actually telling you why he's pissed. It's up to us when coming home to catch up and figure out what did we miss. And by catching up and figuring out what we missed, we can then kind of go forward together. And it's, you can't just enter it and keep going forward. You actually have to go back and become like a detective, what life was like when dad was gone. And that also allows you to reveal a bit of yourself. It allows you to let go that you don't have all the answers. All of that stuff starts to happen almost naturally. But again, it's all that ego. If you go in there, like, I'm going to take command and control of this situation. And I was like, that's not going to, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It's almost so, I mean, man, a lot of good points in there. One, I, I would circle back to the fact that that's the whole ego thing is part of the reason I try to surround myself with those successful people, right? Because your friends in the Marine Corps might call you out jokingly, but those successful people are going to have no problem saying like, dude, your ego's in the way one way or another like they will have no problem calling you out on your crap uh which has been huge for me i try to surround myself with people who have no problem telling me when my shit stinks that happens uh, when people make more money than you because they're less connected to what you do and what you are and they're more connected to just being a good friend and good friends tell you the truth yeah absolutely and i mean it, it almost i mean i mentioned it right going home and like not being a part of the routine it's almost like you need to approach when you go home after that long time like the age old advice when you take command or join a new unit, which is sit in the background for a week or two or 30 days. And don't like they say, when you, when you take command, like sit back for 30 days and absorb, observe the battle rhythm. Don't try to just go in changing things right away. Don't try to yank control, like see how things have been running without you. I mean, that reminds me of heartbreak Ridge. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. I absolutely fucking love it. But it reminded yeah. me of the supply officer that thought he knew better by oh. counting boxes of how a infantry unit worked and <laughs> nothing better at the end when that he get his freaking ass lit up and uh, uh. like you go back. Were you good at being supply? Go back and do that because right here, <laughs> this is how we do it. <laughs> That's yeah, probably what says. You could probably even paint that moment to be like when your wife comes in, you're like, were you good at being a Marine? Yeah. Go back and fucking do it because over here, this isn't how we do it. <laughs> 
I mean, it's funny. Those are real conversations though, right? Like there are spouses who would probably prefer that their guy deploy again. Yeah. Because I mean, it's, it just felt easier. And when he's home, he's not the person that I need to be there. Yeah. Yeah. For so many reasons. And you talked about it as well earlier on. I, I forgot to write it down to come back to, but you talked about going in and just doing what you thought was needed, like going in and just observing and, this mean this exact same thing. Imagine a commanding officer going in and you're like, man, these guys, this is a clusterfuck over here. I know I can make it better. And you just start doing it. Meanwhile, they're like, who the fuck is this guy? Like, he's just called us. This, this is a clusterfuck over here. And what's going on? That's the same thing that happens at home. Like, if you come in every day from work, you walk in and you just start picking up where you think you, she needs help. It's no different than when your CEO walks in for the first day and starts doing what he thinks is right. And the power question that I've learned to ask in this moment, and it worked really well when I had a job, I would walk in, my wife would be already making dinner, and I would ask, where can I best help? I mean, imagine if a commanding officer walked in the door on the first day, like, where do you, where can I help right now? Because I'd like to just observe, but where, where do you think I could help right now? And just follow their lead. And like, that is the better way to not jump in and take control, but to observe and support the people already on the ground. Yeah, I like that. A lot of good military analogies in that one. I feel like we had a lot of good military themes. I mean, and we are both Marines. We are both Marines. And I don't get to talk with another Marine as well, or as much as I desire, and especially as a stay-at-home dad. It's uh, these tr- these conversations are real treats because I get to connect with memories. I get to connect with just a, an older version of myself that life was a lot simpler. And so anytime I can time travel back and just feel connected, it just feels easier and more exciting as well, too. Well, good deal. Glad I can help. <laughs> so as we ramp up this interview, because this interview, I was just like we said in the beginning, there was, I am 200% positive that there was something in this interview that this conversation is going to change how a dad out there listening sees his life forever, whether it be the American dream and getting to talk to more people and challenging what you accept as your truth, which is your ego telling you that this is how normal looks, whether it be talking about coming home where do you feel your best piece of advice would land with a dad? So what is your best piece of advice from the history of you being a dad, Marine, everything that you know about being a military dad? What's a piece of advice that you want every dad to know out there that they make sure they get out of this interview? Man, I, I'd probably be the very similar to everything else I tell people with real estate or whatever is like, you're not alone. There's resources. Spend some time and Surround yourself with people that you think are better dads than yourself. Not saying that they are better dads than yourself, but surround yourself with people who are good fathers. Talk about being a parent, right? People don't don't get out there and focus on becoming a good father or a good parent as much as they should. Surround yourself with somebody who's doing that well. I was in a Facebook group at one point. It was only like 100 people, but it was started by a friend of mine, one of those entrepreneurs. And it was basically like random entrepreneur dudes sharing ideas for like just how to make their wife feel special or struggles they were having around the house. And although that Facebook group didn't last as long as I probably would have liked, I got some really good feedback out of it and some good ideas and, you know, some good stuff. And so, I mean, read, read a book about being a dad, listen to a podcast like this about being a dad, like surround yourself with other fathers. Just you, you can't want new ideas. You got to find better ideas and conversations. That's why I love podcasting. I mean, yeah. the crutch that I fell into is I was assuming accumulating knowledge, but not accumulating action. And that led into like analysis paralysis of just like indecision because like I don't even know which way to go anymore because I've 
accumulated so much knowledge I haven't done anything with it. And that created like, I don't even know what to do anymore of how, what the next step was. And I got lost in that. So it's important to I combine the idea of learning, but I mean, you, I've seen it in Facebook groups that I'm connected to with dads as well. They'll open up, they'll get all of these comments, like a hundred comments of this is, I've, I've literally just walked this. I just got out of this room a week ago. I know you just entered it, but this is where the door is. They'll tell them exactly what it is. And a lot of those dads don't do it. And so knowledge is one thing. The only way the fog will lift that you feel in your life right now, if you're listening to this and you're in a pit and you just walked into the room of what am I doing here? That fog that you feel is only going to lift when you start moving. Like there is a weird psychological effect that I felt where when that moment where I didn't know where to step, like it was just like, I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was so thick. But the moment I started taking a step, like the fog started to clear almost instantly. I started to get clarity and it was like movement will create clarity. And the same thing with knowledge. And you probably didn't know what you're doing when you started doing the real estate stuff, but movement and more movement created more clarity. And you started getting more ideas and more conversations and it kept getting clearer and clearer. But the moment you start standing still, I'm sure you probably even feel it now, even as you're doing it, the moments you're not doing or moving the needle, you're like, uh, you start questioning things and you start feeling like that fog starting to set in. They're like, which way is north again? And it just takes movement to figure that out. Yeah. It's amazing how far you can go if you just start moving. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it, people get hung up on like the azimuth of the, the direction, use of military terminology. But sometimes it doesn't really matter where the azimuth is poor. And as long as you're moving in a direction, the features are going to change. You're going to get different landmarks and the view changes. So as the view changes, you get different perspectives and you may be able to go in the wrong direction for a mile, but then maybe that takes you up to a mountain where you're like, whoa, I can see that I need to go in the other direction, but I got elevation with that direction. So that wasn't really a bad decision because now I know where to go. That was a, yeah. Yeah. I never used that I, analogy, but I really like that one. Just kind of no, randomly there. I agree. It's like, yeah, it doesn't have to be that your first deal doesn't have to be your best. You just have to do something. And something will will lead to something else. There is, you probably have seen this within your real estate deals that I learned early on that, and I coach other people starting podcasts in the same idea that what you see in front of you right now is probably a mountain that seems like 2000 feet high and you can't see on the other side of that. And you're like, I don't really know if this is the idea. I got this idea. Like my podcast was there for like a year before I launched it. I got this idea. But I'm not really sure if it's the right idea. And so I'm, I'm just going to stay here until I get that feeling. And what I didn't realize until I got on top of that mountain with an idea was, oh, I can't see my billion dollar idea until I fail at this first idea. <laughs> yep. And so you, 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 and your billion dollar idea is maybe three failures in. And you're not going to get there until you gain the collective wisdom of your first three failures to know what didn't work, to know what you don't like. And then you're like, oh, man, this is how it's supposed to fit in. But you'll never see that because it's three mountains in front of you and how many views of elevation that you're down and each time you climb the mountain, whether it's a failure or a success, you get a view that you can't have access to until you do something. Yeah. I mean, to bring it all home on that with the most polarizing example you could possibly use, uh, everybody loves to focus on how many millions of dollars Donald Trump lost over the last two or three decades. But, uh, have you seen how much the man's worth now? <laughs> he, he sure failed a few times, but he figured something out along the way, whether you like the guy or not. Uh, he accomplished something. So 
anyway yeah and like it's so that guy in sometimes because it pisses people off but but there's so much even within that example of trump there within every failure there is always lessons to be learned and i'm sure trump can see it in himself there there's things that he's learned as well and the context that we often misjudge trump through and the many things that we could misjudge him for is we try to judge his life by the view from our life and whether it's trump or another billionaire that is an asshole or however you view trump doesn't matter you, you judging from your view to his view i mean we have different ways of thinking like to him 600 dollars loss on a tax return whether it be maybe a true tax return or not doesn't really matter that's a different mindset entirely when you deal with real estate than it is from someone who deals with a salary of a hundred thousand a year and you have a mortgage in most of your life. Your view of the world is completely different from his. And we always try to judge each other's or even the moral implications of, we try to hold people in elected office to a higher standard than our own life. And it's like, are you perfect? No. Well, why do you automatically assume all these other people are perfect and they don't mess up either. And it's this, projection of our own insecurities on other people that kind of make that happen but not to go down that rabbit hole but man this is uh this has been such a great episode and i'm so like i said in the beginning i'm so glad that we said hello to each other because this is a really good episode and i'm really gonna love getting it out to you guys and i'm really glad you came into my life david i appreciate it ben this has been a lot of fun for me and uh just some good things to think about as i prepare for this like this couldn't have come at a better time because i'm preparing to go back into all of this full time uh and so forcing myself to kind of vocalize some of this and think about some stuff with like the homecoming dichotomy has been it's gonna be good and you've got a good time to kind of prepare it and think about it and stick the landing when when it happens because it's not something it's not a surprise it's kind of like a military transition that I often have been given this new advice that you should start preparing for transition the moment you start boot camp. And every day you're in boot camp from the moment you get out, you should be preparing for the day it's ending because you never know when it's going to end. You might not even make it through boot camp. And you're going to have to figure that out with a mil- like a discharge or whether a medical discharge or maybe the military just says they don't need you. And same thing in your case, like you've got a runway, you've got a plan. There's no reason why you shouldn't have some higher likely success of sticking that landing. Same thing with transition. If you were planning for it from the very beginning, you already know where you need to go. And kind of like you, you started planning early on and you created a better place on the other side and you know exactly where you're going. It's crystal clear. That's not how people think out there. Where can people get it connected with you, David, to understand more about Military Millionaire and what you do and how they could potentially understand how to see the world in the same way you do? Uh, probably the, e- the easiest place to reach out would either be to go to my Instagram from military to millionaire or to, uh, join the Facebook group, military millionaire, Facebook group. All right. And I'll put both of those links down in the show notes of this show at military David, awesome talking to you today. Like I said, I am really proud to call you a friend now. And I know this friendship is just beginning and I'm excited to see what's going to bring to it in the future. Absolutely. Ben, thank you very much for having me on the show and we have to stay in touch. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I know that you had a choice out there when you decided to listen to this episode, and I appreciate you, the listener. Whether this was your first time listening to Military Veteran Dad or you are a longtime listener, know that you are appreciated, and I know that you are out there enjoying these episodes because I get emails from you guys all the time letting me know how much you guys love the content. If you want to drop me an idea of what's going on in Military Veteran Dad or which, how these episodes have impacted you, go ahead, drop me an email, ben at militaryveterandad.com. Now on to my number one takeaway for this episode. This episode really talked to me in a way that 
I also had been doing, but I didn't really fully understand the impact. And that is getting that wide view of really where you want to go. I can't overestimate how many times military veterans get stuck in this idea that there's only one way for us to transition. And what this episode with David really highlighted is there is always more than one way to transition. And if this episode really resonated you with, with you on that topic, I challenge you to start talking to more people because how you talk to people, who you talk to, the language you use when you talk to them, what your questions you're asking them, all of those things are going to shape what you truly see possible. And I really do believe transitioning starts on day one of boot camp. You want to understand how this is shaping you. What are what becomes possible now because you've done this exercise of joining the military? So many veterans wait till the six month mark. I know I did. I know I didn't worry about transitioning till six months out. To me, it wasn't even on my radar. I just sat in Okinawa waiting my time out. This conversation right here with David would have changed my life 15 years ago. And it would have allowed me to find myself in a way that allowed me to step into my voice, step into what I really felt like I was meant for. And I would have been a whole lot farther than I am today. And I want to leave you with something that was just some wisdom was dropped to me the other day that oftentimes, and this is often repeated in the military because it's a military is a process oriented culture. And it is trust the process. I want you to reframe that as I have done now that I've had this mindset shift. Don't trust the process. I want you to trust the progress because what I often hear when I talk to military dads is they get stuck on this idea that they're stuck. So they literally get stuck and the thought that's stuck is that they're stuck. And they're told to trust the process. I've been told that how many times I can't even count. But of that advice is it doesn't help get me out. It doesn't help me understand where to go. It still has me feeling stuck. Like, Because trust the process feels like I don't have any power to do something within that idea. And I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of feeling powerless. But if you shift it towards trust the process, progress, and not trust the process, but trust the progress. What you're doing there is acknowledging the gain and the work that you have done to get to where you are today. And trusting the process makes you feel like the work you've put in doesn't matter. That yes, you've done a lot of growth work. Yes, you've come a long way, but you still just gotta trust the process that you're not there yet. And I fucking hate that idea. So next time you hear that advice, reframe it. Or even if you're telling yourself that moment, trust the progress allows you to acknowledge the gain and acknowledge that what you're doing is growing and that counts for something. And as long as you're growing up, maturing as an adult, that is the process. But it doesn't come with this idea of trust the process. No, trust the progress that you've made in your life, moving it forward, the gains you've made, and that will help you understand what road you're on. Like I said, find as many people to talk to in your transition process, whether you're on the other side of transition. I am a firm believer that you are always one conversation away from changing your life. You're going to miss 100% of those shots you don't take. And to to correlate that advice as well, that if you don't feel like you have enough opportunity in your life, you're not talking to enough people. The amount of people that you talk to daily preferably strangers, is directly proportional to the amount of opportunity and ideas and new ways of thinking that you're currently using.
So with that, guys, I will sign off. Have an amazing week. Set that intention, like I said in the beginning of this episode. Make Monday count. And I will talk to you guys again on Friday. Thank you.